Welcome to an in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah, written by Imre Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 3. The Last Five Kings of Judah. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Jeremiah 22 and verse 16. Famed Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky spent four years in a Siberian prison in the 1800s for subversive political activities. Later, writing about his experiences, he talked about some of his fellow prisoners' utter lack of remorse for their terrible behavior. Quote, in the course of several years, I have never saw a sign of repentance among these people, not a trace of despondent brooding over their crimes, and the majority of them inwardly considered themselves absolutely in the right. End quote. So wrote Joseph Frank on page 95 of his book entitled Dostoevsky, The Years of Ordeal, 1850-1859. Dostoevsky could have been talking about, with the exception of Josiah, the five kings who ruled Judah during the ministry of Jeremiah. One after another, these men seemed totally unrepentant for their actions, even as it became clearer and clearer that their actions were bringing the calamities that the Lord, through Jeremiah, had warned would come. It had never been God's intention to give Israel a king. By the end of this exploration, you will better understand why. You will understand, too, the severe pressure that poor Jeremiah faced during much of his unappreciated ministry. Under the rule of Josiah. Josiah was the 16th king to rule in the southern kingdom. His dates were 640 through 609 BC. He became king at the age of eight after more than half a century of moral and spiritual decline under his father Ammon and grandfather Manasseh, two of the most evil kings in Judah. Josiah's reign lasted for 31 years. Unlike his ancestors, however, Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, despite an environment that worked against him. Born of a wicked king, beset with temptations to follow in his father's steps, and with few counselors to encourage him in the right way, Josiah nevertheless was true to the God of Israel. 
Warned by the errors of past generations, he chose to do right instead of descending to the low level of sin and degradation to which his father and his grandfather had fallen. That character sketch was written by Ellen G. White in her book Prophets and Kings, page 384. What were the components of Josiah's reform and why would they be central to any attempt at spiritual reformation, be it corporate or personal? Second Chronicles chapter 34 tells the story. Josiah succeeds Ammon in Judah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, forefather, and did not turn aside either to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, 16, he began to seek after and inquire of the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, and the carved and cast images. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, for he cut to pieces the incense altars that were high above them. He also smashed the Asherim and the carved images and the cast images to pieces and ground them to dust and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then Josiah burned the bones of the pagan priests on their altars and purged and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins, he tore down the altars and beat and crushed the ashram and the carved images into powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Josiah repairs the temple. In the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, when he had purged the land and the Lord's house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who guarded the doors, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it to the workmen who were appointed over the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it to others to repair and restore the house, the temple. They in turn gave it to the carpenters and builders to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings, trusses, braces, and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. The men did the work faithfully with foremen over them to supervise and inspect their work. Jahath and Obadiah, 
the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Mishulam of the sons of the Kohathites and the Levites, all who were skillful with musical instruments. They were also in charge of the burden-bearers who carried loads and supervised all the workmen in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Hilkiah discovers the lost book of the law. When they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah told Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king, but first reported further to him, Your servants are doing everything that was entrusted to them. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah in regard to the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord which has been poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept and obeyed the word of the Lord to act in accordance with everything that's written in this book. Huldah the prophetess speaks. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her about this, and she answered them. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have abandoned, rejected me, and have burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. My wrath will be poured out on this place, and it will not be extinguished. There is a footnote regarding God's wrath not being extinguished, which says in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 25, God's wrath would not be extinguished, but that does not mean it would go on forever. It means it will consume all of what it was meant to consume.
Now let's continue. Verse 26 says, But you shall say the following to King Josiah of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was gentle and penitent, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and humbled yourself before me, and tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers in death, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the evil which I am going to bring on this place and on its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent word and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, from the greatest to the least. And he read aloud so they could hear all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Josiah's Good Reign Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after and obey the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Further, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin stand with him in confirmation of it. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem acted in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the pagan repulsive things from all the lands belonging to the sons, descendants of Israel, and made all who were present in Israel Serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Josiah's reform consisted of two main components. First, it was getting rid as much as possible of anything and everything that smacked of idolatry. That is, he worked to remove the evil practices that had arisen in the nation. But that was only the first step. An absence of evil or wrong practices doesn't automatically mean that good will follow. Second, after hearing the book of the law read to him, the king made a covenant before the Lord to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. That was Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 31. Let's listen to the last two verses of that chapter from the New Living Translation. What do these verses tell you about the power of a good example, especially among people in positions of power and influence.
Second Chronicles, chapter 34, verses 32 and 33. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Think long and hard, introspectively. How do your words and actions influence other people? Jehoaz and Jehoiakim, Another Descent Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, was 23 years old when he succeeded his father, Josiah, on the throne. His reign lasted only three months. Pharaoh replaced him with his brother, Jehoiakim, because Jehoahaz was not favorable toward Egyptian politics. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt, and there he died. There are two biblical references that report this. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 4 The king of Egypt then installed Eliakim, the brother of Jehoahaz, as the next king of Judah and Jerusalem. And he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Then Necho took Jehoahaz to Egypt as a prisoner. And 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 34. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as tribute. Pharaoh Necho then installed Eliakim, another of Josiah's sons, to reign in place of his father, and he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner, where he died. The king that followed Jehoahaz was Jehoiakim, who reigned from 609 to 598 B.C. He was the son of Josiah. When Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem, Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon along with vessels from the temple. Jeremiah again warned the people that their new king was leading the nation down a wrong path. What were some of the issues with Jehoiakim that brought such a stern rebuke from the Lord? 
Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 1 through 19 from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord said to me. Go over and speak directly to the king of Judah. Say to him, listen to this message from the Lord, you king of Judah, sitting on David's throne. Let your attendants and your people listen too. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. If you obey me, there will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. The king will ride through the palace gates in chariots and on horses with his parade of attendants and subjects. But... If you refuse to pay attention to this warning, I swear by my own name, says the Lord, that this palace will become a pile of rubble. A message about the palace. Now, this is what the Lord says concerning Judah's royal palace. I love you. As much as fruitful Gilead and the green forest of Lebanon. But I will turn you into a desert with no one living within your walls. I will call for wreckers who will bring out their tools to dismantle you. They will tear out all your fine cedar beams and throw them on the fire. People from many nations will pass by the ruins of this city and say to one another, Why did the Lord destroy such a great city? And the answer will be, because they violated their covenant with the Lord, their God, by worshiping other gods. A message about Jehoahaz. Do not weep for the dead king or mourn his loss. Instead, weep for the captive king being led away for he will never return to see his native land again. For this is what the Lord says about Jehoahaz, who succeeded his father, King Josiah, and was taken away as a captive. He will never return. He will die in a distant land and will never again see his own country. A message about Jehoiakim. And the Lord says, What sorrow awaits Jehoiakim, who builds his palace with forced labor? He builds injustice into its walls, for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. He says, I will build a magnificent palace with huge rooms and many windows. I will panel it throughout with fragrant cedar and painted a lovely red. But a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Your father, Josiah, also had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just and right in all his dealings. 
That is why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? But you, you have eyes only for greed and dishonesty. You murder the innocent, oppress the poor, and reign ruthlessly. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of King Josiah. The people will not mourn for him, crying to one another, Alas, my brother, alas, my sister. His subjects will not mourn for him, crying, Alas, our master is dead. Alas, his splendor is gone. He will be buried like a dead donkey, dragged out of Jerusalem and dumped outside the gates. The Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, had very sharp words for this corrupt and covetous ruler. Jehoiakim was an oppressive and greedy king who imposed heavy taxes in Judah in order to pay the Egyptians. In order to get the silver and gold demanded as tribute by Pharaoh Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah, requiring them to pay in proportion to their wealth. Worse, using forced labor, he had elaborate construction done on his own palace in defiance of the Torah, which was clear about paying people for their work. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. That is Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13. Unlike Josiah, his father, Jehoiakim permitted pagan rites to flourish again in Judah. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 16 is a powerful text. In the context of comparing the corrupt Jehoiakim to his father Josiah, the Lord said to him, He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? In other words, the true knowledge of God comes from how one treats those who are in need. It comes when we step out of ourselves to benefit those who can really do nothing for us in return. Again, as we notice all through the Bible, the Lord's concern for the poor and the helpless, as well as the obligation we have to help those who cannot help themselves. Here is a profound idea. The way we come to really know the Lord is by helping the poor and the needy. What does that mean?
the short reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. The 19th king of Judah became Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. He reigned on David's throne for barely three and a half months. In 598 BC, Nebuchadnezzar brought his forces to Jerusalem and seized the 18-year-old king with his mother, his wives, and many other royal captives. In 561 BC, in the 37th year of his captivity, Jehoiakim was given mercy by evil Merodach, Nebuchadnezzar's successor. He was granted the right to dine with the king of Babylon, and he could wear his kingly robes. We have two biblical references. 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 27 through 30. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiakim and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoiakim and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiakim with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. And Jeremiah chapter 52 verses 31 through 34. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiakim and released him from prison on March 31st of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoiakim and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiakim with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the Babylonian king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. This continued until the day of his death. His sons were also in Babylon with him, yet Jeremiah's prophecy said they would have to give up the throne of David. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 1 through 14 tells us the words of the Lord through Jeremiah after King Jehoiakim and his family and the court were taken captive from Jerusalem. Before we hear these verses, just to let you know, some translations use the variant spelling for Jehoiakim, which is in Hebrew, Jeconiah. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 through 14 say, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. 
This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for seventy years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Even amid this tragedy, how is God's love and grace revealed? One of the most famous verses in the Bible is this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 here, of course, we have the immediate context, that of the Lord speaking through Jeremiah to the captives of Judah, who had seen their lives completely uprooted by their Babylonian conquerors. Yet even then, no matter how bad their situation seemed, the Lord wanted them to know that he still loved them and had only their good in mind. No doubt, considering the horrific circumstances, they must have welcomed such promising and hopeful words. Thus, even amid all dire warnings and threats, the people were still given the promise of a future and hope. How hopeful it must have been for them, especially at that time, to have such assurance. 
a future, and a hope? What promises can you claim from the Lord for a future and a hope even right now, regardless of your circumstances? Of the dead end. We will now listen to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six, verses eleven through fourteen. Two questions for you to answer: What do these verses tell us about the last king of Judah before the final destruction of the nation? What spiritual principles of apostasy are revealed in these texts? Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself. When the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. Zedekiah, also known as Mataniah, took the throne at the age of 21, placed there by Nebuchadnezzar as a puppet king. Unfortunately, as the texts say, he hadn't learned many lessons from what had gone before with previous kings, And as a result, he brought even greater ruin to the nation. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 verse 14 states something very profound, a point that in many ways went to the heart of their apostasy. Amid the list of all the evil done under the reign of Zedekiah, it is said that Judah was following all the abominations of the nations. Their previous generations had been instructed with these words, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation! For what great nation has a God 
as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him. And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I am giving you today? There they were, hundreds of years after the Exodus, hundreds of years as the covenant people who were to be a light and a beacon to the nations, and yet they were still so caught up in the prevailing culture, so caught up in the cultural and religious environment of their neighbors, that they were doing all the abominations of the pagans. Might there be a message here for you? Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 14 through 18. What did the king ask him, and why? One day, Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. Jeremiah said, If I tell you the truth, you will kill me. And if I give you advice, you won't listen to me anyway. So King Zedekiah secretly promised him, As surely as the Lord our Creator lives, I will not kill you or hand you over to the men who want you dead. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live, and the city will not be burned down. But if you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. The city will be handed over to the Babylonians, and they will burn it to the ground. The Lord had made it clear on numerous occasions that the nation was to submit to the rule of Babylon, that this conquest was punishment for their iniquity. Zedekiah, however, refused to listen, and he formed a military alliance against Nebuchadnezzar. Israel relied heavily on the hope of an Egyptian military victory. But Nebuchadnezzar was victorious over Pharaoh's army in 597 B.C. This defeat permanently sealed the fate of Jerusalem and the nation. Despite so many opportunities to repent, to reform, to be revived, Judah refused. We as a church have been raised up to proclaim a message to the world that no one else in the world is proclaiming. In many ways, that is very similar to what Judah was to do. What lessons do you learn from their mistakes? And do you see history repeating itself? In what way? How so?
the dark years. What became of Israel and Jerusalem after rejecting God's message? Jeremiah chapter 39 verses 8 and 9 tells us. Meanwhile, the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, including the royal palace and the houses of the people, and they tore down the walls of the city. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took exiles to Babylon, the rest of the people who remained in the city, those who had defected to him, and everyone else who remained. Everything that God had warned them would happen to them is exactly what happened. However much they didn't want to believe the warnings, they certainly did believe them after it all came to pass. Who hasn't, even on a personal level, experienced something similar? We are warned by the Lord not to do something or else this will happen but we will do it anyway. And, sure enough, what we were told would happen, happened. What is the message of Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 2 through 8? What hope was given the people? Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock, and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. In that day, says the Lord, when people are taking an oath, they will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had exiled them, they will live in their own land. From a human perspective, all seemed lost. Their nation lay in ruins, their temple was destroyed, their rulers were exiled and held captive. And the city of Jerusalem was a pile of stones. The Jewish nation and the Jewish people should have at that time 
disappeared from history has had so many other nations that have undergone what they just had. The Lord, though, had other plans, and he gave them the hope that all was not lost, but that a remnant would remain and would return, and through them the promises would be fulfilled. That is, amid all the warnings of doom and destruction, the prophets also gave the people their only hope. From a human perspective, all seemed lost. Their nation lay in ruins. Their temple was destroyed. Their rulers were exiled and held captive. And the city of Jerusalem was a pile of stones. The Jewish nation and the Jewish people should have at that time disappeared from history, as had so many other nations that had undergone what they just had. The Lord, though, had other plans, and he gave them the hope that all was not lost, but that a remnant would remain and would return, and through them the promises would be fulfilled. That is, amid all the warnings of doom and destruction, the prophets also gave the people their only hope. The dark years of destruction and death, marking the end of the kingdom of Judah, would have brought despair to the stoutest heart had it not been for the encouragements in the prophetic utterances of God's messengers. Through Jeremiah in Jerusalem, through Daniel in the court of Babylon, through Ezekiel on the banks of the Chebar, the Lord in mercy made clear His eternal purpose and gave assurance of His willingness to fulfill His chosen people the promises recorded in the writings of Moses. The Lord in mercy made clear His eternal purpose and gave assurance of His willingness to fulfill to His chosen people the promises recorded in the writings of Moses. That which he had said he would do for those who should prove true to him, he would surely bring to pass. The word of God liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter 1, 23 You probably guessed correctly. That was another insight from Ellen G. White's book entitled Prophets and Kings. That tribute is on page 464. Let's continue exploring. In the closing years of Judah's apostasy, the exhortations of the prophets were seemingly of but little avail. And as the armies of the Chaldeans 
came for the third and last time to besiege Jerusalem, hope fled from every heart. Jeremiah predicted utter ruin, and it was because of his insistence on surrender that he had finally been thrown into prison. But God left not to hopeless despair the faithful remnant who were still in the city. Even while Jeremiah was kept under close surveillance by those who scorned his messages, there came to him fresh revelations concerning heaven's willingness to forgive and to save, which have been an unfailing source of comfort to the Church of God from that day to this. Again, the words of Ellen G. White in her book, Prophets and Kings, on page 466. The phrase, heaven's willingness to forgive and to save, Think about all the ways that we have been shown heaven's willingness to forgive and save. After all, the cross alone should tell us about this willingness. We have the Word of God, which reveals to us the plan of salvation. We've been given the spirit of prophecy, a wonderful gift, What other ways have we been shown heaven's willingness to forgive and to save? Here are a few points to ponder and some questions to consider. Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 2. The people approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, Though we were once many, now only a few are left. The New Living Translation says, only a tiny remnant. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 3. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Let's listen for the remnant theme in our exploration of Jeremiah. Okay, with the exception of Josiah, we've explored the outcomes of kings leading their people to disobey God's instructions. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 connects their stories to you and me by saying, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. It's so easy from our perspective to look back at sacred history and see all the faults and shortcomings and spiritual deficiencies of God's people of antiquity. And we should because as we heard in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 11, we have been told that these stories were written as examples for us. The sad thing is, many of these people at the time, in their own context and culture, thought that they were doing the right thing, that they were just fine with the Lord. Friend, 
What warning does that give you about just how blind it is possible to be to your true spiritual state? How would you describe your spiritual condition? And how does that condition affect your commitment to the one who promises to gather his remnant? What would happen if you didn't keep the cross central to your spiritual life? AmbassadorGroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.